Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Here tonight, and I, I, I just feel the Lord in this place, and uh, I, I think we're going to have a good time. I think where I want to start tonight is in the book of Hebrews. If you will go with me to the book of Hebrews, I want to read uh, the 12th chapter, and let me, uh, uh, I'm going to take my time again tonight and just to unpack this. It is Saturday night, and, and I think, uh, you know, when we was in the world, it was a party night. We ought to have a party tonight, but there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. <laughs> And I appreciate the presence of the Lord. But I want to go to the book of Hebrews first and just take a text here. And I want to unpack some things that's really been working in my spirit that I've not shared a whole lot. Now, the first part of this I have, but I want to, I want to talk to you tonight, if the Holy Spirit will help me, about seeing some things through the eyes of covenant. I mean, God is a covenant-keeping God. And what most people don't realize, you know, I was in the ministry before I realized. I was in the ministry for several years before I realized the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. Well, I got one chuckle, and maybe a lot of you still think it is. The fact that it's a new one tells me there's an old one. What was old was about to vanish away. Let me get started so we can get somewhere. But verse 18 is where I want to start from. Verse 18, Hebrews, the 12th chapter, For you are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated, that the words should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with the dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you are come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. You're not coming there. You have come. Come on, somebody. Help me just a little bit. The first part of this, he's telling you what you have not come to. And the second part, he's telling you what you have come to. And we'll unpack this in just a moment. But you are come. Not You aren't marching there. You're not coming to. It's not some glad morning. It's not one of these days. See, I think we need some now preaching. You know, we're always on the brink. We're on the threshold. One of these days, it's like we dangle a carrot in front of people they never can reach. And see, a procrastinator is somebody who won't take now for an answer. Well, I'm going to wait on you a minute. Hallelujah. You're worth waiting on. Hallelujah. I think my opinion is what the Word said, but you are come to Mount Zion. You're not marching to Zion. You're, he said you have come to Mount Zion, and you've come to the city of the living God. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, and you've come to an innumerable company of angels, and you've come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. You come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. You come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaks. For if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaking from heaven? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifies the removing of the things that are shaken as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. May remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace 
grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Let me take one more scripture and go go with me if you would. I'll just quote it because it'll take it'd be, if you want to turn there, you can. Hebrews 1, verse 1. One of my favorite scriptures to springboard a little bit when I'm talking about covenant. Hebrews 1, verse 1 says this. It says, uh, well, my mind went blank as soon as I said that. I was about to quote it. (laughs) Here it is. God who at sundry times and in times past spoke to us in, through, and by the prophets hath. Say hath. Hath. Somebody say that's past tense. Hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son. Now, let me not be too awful controversial here this morning, but I want to stretch, not this evening, but I want to stretch it just a little bit. He said, God who at sundry times and in times past and diverse manners spoke to us in, through, and by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son. Now, what we normally do with that is we take whatever our concept of last days is and we superimpose that on this scripture and we try to drag the scripture over here to fit some paradigm we already have. Now stay with me just for a minute. I'm not going to be real controversial, but I need to stretch you just a little bit. Here I believe is either the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews or he was influencing whoever was writing it down. And he's saying there that God hath he called his day the last days. Now, if Paul was the only, uh, uh, you know, apostle that said this, we could say, well, he was beat an awful lot, let down over walls and baskets, spent a lot of time in Roman jails, was shipwrecked, snake bit, perils of false brother, perils among the sea, down over, he was a basket case. They let him down over a wall in a basket one time. So we could say, well, maybe they just beat him senseless. And he just didn't know what he was talking about. But the Apostle Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2 and he said, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. He called what was happening there the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel had spoken. I know you're quiet, but stay with me. He called his day the last days. That's the second apostolic witness. Then you see the apostle John who would say, little children, we know that it is the last time because Antichrist is already on the scene. That was before Osama, Obama, or Chelsea's mama. (laughs) Or the last Trump. Now, I don't want to be eschatological as much as I I I want to point out something. What we, what we don't understand sometimes is that some, these scriptures that I'm talking about here in Hebrews are not dealing with the last days of this age. They are dealing with the last days of the old covenant age. And see, when you begin to understand that what Paul was talking about here in Hebrews, he's telling these Hebrews, he's talking to real, literal Hebrews. How do you know that, Dr. Haas? Because it's the title of the book. God has in these last days spoke to us by the Son. What I want you to see is that these scriptures are addressing not the end of a cosmic uh, deal, but it's talking about the end of an age that had come to an end. And the end of the age, or the last days that we, they were in, was the last days of the Mosaic Covenant, so that God was about to give birth to a new covenant. And the whole book of Hebrews is about what's better about the new covenant than the old covenant. Come on, somebody. Right. How many know that you and I are not living 
in an old covenant. We're living in a new covenant. And that covenant had its last days because, I mean, oh, Jesus was the last sacrifice. I feel the preacher sneaking up on me. When he hung on Calvary's cross, I mean, oh, he didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. Yeah. Now, let me say this to you. Let me show you how I believe this is really powerful because when, when if I entered into a covenant with Pastor Allen and I said to him, man, I like your Ford that you're driving me around in. I like your car. I want to buy your car. And I said to him, listen, I want to offer you $20,000 for... Oh. Sold, see, already sold. <laughs> and we enter into the terms of a covenant. And I say to him, I'm going to give you $2,000 a month for the next 10 months. Now, how many after I make the, the, the $2,000 a month for the next 10 months, and I pay my last payment on that covenant... I didn't do away with the covenant. I fulfilled it. Come on, somebody. I didn't destroy it. I fulfilled it. I mean, when Jesus hung on the cross, he met every demand that the law could ever make on you so that God could stamp the ledger and say it's paid in full. Come on, somebody. He paid a debt he did not owe and redeemed me not just from sin. He redeemed me from the curse of the law. I wish I could get some help up in here. That ought to be something to shout about. Hallelujah. Good to see my pastor friends come in from Birmingham tonight. Hallelujah. And the reality of it is, is that when we understand understand that Jesus did let's see everything he did he completely and totally satisfied he's the only man in human history I don't know how far I'm gonna to get tonight hallelujah because this stuff just starts to explode in me but re the reality of it is is this is what really helped me to understand the new covenant and the grace of God and how God deals with each group of people based on the covenant that they're under so when you come over into the book of Hebrews he starts telling you first of all that Jesus is better than angels because angels were servants, but in the new covenant, you're not servants, you're sons. Come on, somebody help me a little bit. He starts to tell them in the next chapter he's better than Moses because Moses uh, brought you the old covenant, but how many know that Jesus brought us the new covenant? He starts telling you about chapter 5 and 6, he's better than Levi because there's another priesthood that came on the scene after the order of Melchizedek, and if there's a change of priesthood, there must of necessity be a change of the law. So if we got a new priest, we have to have a change of law. Come on, somebody. Now, I'm not saying we're lawless. Here's where a lot of people miss the mark preaching grace. They start preaching grace and start getting lawless. But in the new covenant, the law that governs us is no longer rules on rocks. It's a relationship with our Father and it's the Holy Spirit that starts to work in our heart. It's the law of love or God begins to write His law on our heart. It's the law of the Spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus. The old covenant was about a law you had to keep and the new covenant was about receiving a life that will keep you. The old covenant functioned through fear and the new covenant operates by faith. Under the old covenant, the fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom, but when you come into the new covenant, perfect love cast out fear. And you're not serving him because you come on, you're afraid of him, you're serving him because you're in love with him. If perfect love cast out fear, then come on, hallelujah, perfect fear cast out love. And who you're afraid of, you're not in love with. Somebody help me. That's true. That is true. Under the old covenant, it was about rule 
rules on rocks in the new covenant is about a relationship. In the old covenant, it operated by law. In the new covenant, it functions by love. Uh, the issue that we have in the new covenant, and I believe the reason why a lot of preachers won't preach this, is because they don't really believe that the Holy Spirit can do what the Holy Spirit said he can do. Come on. Now, let me, let me just give you this picture. I don't know how far I will get. I may not get as far as I thought. But when the children of Israel, let me just give you this point, and, and then I'll come back and see if I can unpack this a little bit more. But when the children of Israel left Egypt... They were delivered by the blood of a spotless lamb. I talked about that last night. They came out of Egypt and just the other side of Egypt in the wilderness, they built a good Lutheran church. You say, how do you know that? Because they were living by the, they've been delivered by the blood and they believe the just will live by faith. But God wanted to make Baptists out of them before the day was over. So he said, I'm going to open the Red Sea and I'm going to baptize three to six million people into the mediator of that covenant. And out of the old covenant, how many know he delivered them by blood? And then he delivered them by the water at the Red Sea. Blood bought, water baptized. Are you seeing the pictures? The New Covenant writers get a hold of that and said they were baptized into the sea and they were baptized into Moses. In the New Covenant, you and I are baptized into Christ. I, I just feel like reconstituted lemon juice tonight. I, the anointing's on me. And this, everything I'm saying is just connecting to something else. I think it's interesting that the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, he said, everything that happened to them under Moses in the wilderness journey happened to them as an example for us upon whom the end of the world, King James says, every other translation says, whom the end of the age has come. He wasn't talking to us, he was talking to the Corinthians. They were the people upon whom the end, not of the global situation, but they were the people upon whom the end of the age had come. What age? The age of the law, because God was giving birth to this new covenant thing. Are you following me? And so he said everything that happened to them under Moses happened as an example for us. Talking to the Corinthians, because they were the ones that were in transition, crossing over out of an old covenant into it. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been? To make the transition, like I said, you know what? People get bound by tradition. And we had we had a church split, not a church split. Let me let me say it. We didn't church in our area. We gave we gave an organ to a church in our area. I want to be careful what I say because we're going to broadcast this on national television. And last night after we left, I found out there's 500 some people already watched the live stream last night. So. <laughs> But, uh, but uh, uh, we gave this church a, an organ, Pastor Allen, we, a free organ, a good organ, because we went to keyboards. And so we said, if you would like to have this organ, you can have this organ. This pastor took him six months to come get this organ. And he said to me, he said, we had a church split over this organ. I said, a split over an organ. He said, yeah, he said, some of our folks did not want to receive this organ because of what you all believe. I said, well, well, what do we believe that would cause you a church split? And he said, well, I, I really don't know. <laughs> and I said, well, let me just tell you this. When you go back and tell your people this, tell them that our organ does not believe what we believe. <laughs> you put your organ player on it, it'll, it'll play bringing in the thieves for you. <laughs> I'm not going to leave that be. <laughs> But if people will split a church over an organ, man, you know, see, here's the deal. It's hard to preach truth because you can't get people that won't leave you over one detail of being different than somebody else. You know, I don't see where there's anything wrong about bringing your brain and coming to church. And if it makes you think, then I think that's probably a good thing. 
And so, you know, I, I like it when somebody says, you don't have to believe even everything I say. I just say it like this, eat the grapes, spit out the seeds. But see, can you imagine making a transition from law to grace? Here, and you're, thinking, you're looking at me like, yeah, you know. Yeah, but see, what we don't realize is the law was more than just the Ten Commandments. Man, I ain't going to get where I thought it would tonight. Hallelujah. There's, you know, the, even the text, I talk, when we, like I said, when I grew up under these terrorist preachers, it, it was really tough on women. I feel like you ought to almost apologize to women every time I get up to preach. Because you say, you want me to name sin. And then we start preaching again. You've got makeup on your Jezebel face. Come in here with pantsuit on. You wonder why God ain't moving. And so I'm thinking to myself, you know, this God must be serious about fashion. <laughs> Because if you're going to bust hell wide open over an outfit, some homeboy don't have a chance of making it. I actually, I dressed up a little bit fancy to come here because I knew he was going to film a little bit. I usually wear jeans and a shirt. It's, not, it's, it's a whole lot easier to pack when you travel. Like, I can wear it tonight, wear it tomorrow too. <laughs> Man, I, I, I remember talking about women don't dress in men's apparel. And man, you didn't even need a message. If you come in and you've seen somebody that had a pants suit. See, I stand here on the platform and everybody I could see. Ladies, y'all wear a pants suit. I wouldn't have needed to. Back then, I'd have, got, I'd have turned to the book of Donoronomy. I call it Donoronomy. And we'd have wore you out for and women don't dress in men's apparel. So I got old enough to read the Bible for myself. And I'm thinking, you know, this God's got to be serious about fashion or something. I mean, I could see getting busted by the fashion police, and I believe in modesty, but really 60 billion years in hell over an outfit? I mean, we send people to hell for stuff we wouldn't even send them to jail for in America. So I went over to the book of Deuteronomy, and the same chapter that talks about women don't dress in men's apparel also says don't mingle your thread in a garment with diverse kinds of thread but I never heard nobody ever preach against a polyester wool blend <laughs> I like you know this I like the super 120 or super 100 wool suits because you know I like to wear them but you know if I wear a super 100 wool 100 percent wool suit I know this is way too much information. I probably shouldn't even say this on national television, but I wear cotton underwear because I don't like the wool ones. And under, under the law of Moses, I'm going to bust hell wide open. <laughs> Y'all don't want to help me preach. I preached in Jackson, Mississippi for a bishop of an organization, and he told me, he said, Dr. House, he said, I started to read your stuff. And he said, I thought, he said, to, he said I, I believe I taught my people wrong. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm in my six. He said, I taught my people that even if they said they couldn't even pray for themselves, they had to come confess their sin to me, and I'd have to pray for them because God wouldn't hear the prayer of a sinner. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I trust them to tell my sin. <laughs> oh, boy. Y'all don't want to help me up in here tonight. <laughs> And he said, man, I, he said, I taught, so he said, I had a guy come in here preach at my church. He said, we preached against pork chops. Because the book of Deuteronomy said, don't you put no, listen, there's some of you sitting up in here tonight, got bacon on your breath right now. Ha. You had a ham sandwich. <laughs> you eating devil to ham. 
but under the law, see, you, you couldn't, listen, you couldn't even play football because you couldn't touch a pig skin or you become, <laughs> so you could play, listen, that's, that's under the law of Moses. You couldn't touch a pig skin. You not just eat a ham sandwich, man, you couldn't even touch a pig skin. That's why the story of the prodigal is such profound, because he, he, he joined himself to a citizen of another country and was feeding hogs. That's about as low as you can get for a Jewish boy. Right. What I'm trying to get you to see is we pick and choose the parts of the law that fit our culture, and we call that the gospel. I'll never forget, I was in, I was in uh, Peculiar, Missouri. That's really my name, name there. But I have a guy that travels with me. I guess it's all right to take my time here tonight. It's Saturday night again. And I got a guy that travels with me some, and he's getting up in years now. He don't travel with me as much. But he came from an Italian mob background. Uh, his dad was a was an Italian mob boss. Bobby Kennedy tried his dad, and he was the first uh, Italian uh, gangster, mobster, whatever you want to call it, to go down on the RICO Act. He is the precedent-setting case, and God put this guy's son with me. He traveled with me, and Roger and these guys know A.J. real well. But he put this guy with me, and this guy didn't know nothing about God. I mean, he got saved, and I mean, gloriously delivered from 300 a day in cocaine, and I mean, God just gloriously delivered him. And uh, the Lord put this guy with me, but when he, you know, he put him with me, I, the first time I preached on Moses and the Ten Commandments, he said, that's in the Bible. I said, yeah, it's in the Bible. He said, man, really? He said, I saw that movie, Charlton Heston, starting that. <laughs> so I bought him a Bible, you know, and he, so he was with me about a year, and he said to me, he said, boss, I think I got it now. He said, I got it? I said, you got it in a year? He said, I got it, boss. I said, in a year you got it? He said, I think so. I said, what do you think this book's about? He said, I think it's about gang wars. I said, well, that sounds like a church service to me, but not necessarily about I said, well, you're talking about, he said, right there behind the book of Malachi. I said, you mean Malachi? He said, yeah. He said, there was, uh, he said there was these Italians named the Seducis, and they was fighting these Jews named the Pharisees. I said, you mean the Pharisees and Sadducees? <laughs> He said, yeah, that's the group I'm, I said, man, <laughs> that's not Italians and Jews, that's just, <laughs> that's like Pentecostals and Baptists. <laughs> so about it, but anyway, he's with me, and we're in, we're in Peculiar, Missouri, and I'm preaching, uh, you know, about the, like I was tonight, and I said, listen, people want to argue about we're up under law, but the truth of it is, is, it, I, I'm just blunt, I don't know how any way to kind of work around this, but see, unless you're a Jew, God never gave you the law. Romans 2 said that the Gentiles, which do not have the law, do by nature the things written in the law. We were never under the old covenant. Come on, somebody. Now, listen, I know you're starting to get nervous, and I'm not talking about we don't need to behave, but I'll, I'll show you in a minute what I'm talking about here. But I need to lay this out to show you how absurd we are because we try to pick and choose the parts of the law that fit our culture. So if we're going to preach the law, you've got to preach the whole law because if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of the whole thing. So if we're going to preach the law, ladies, you've got to have to get yourself some women's apparel, quit cutting your hair, men, we're going to have to quit trimming the corners of our beard. And, and so I, I'm preaching, and, and, and we don't even realize this. Let me just say this. I'm not going to get as far. Let me say this first. I'm not going to get where I thought I was tonight. I can see myself veering off. Jesus was one of the best teachers of the law that ever walked. And we don't understand that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is in the New Testament, but they are still in the Old Covenant. Well, thank you for that. Amen. The sacrifice of Jesus was not yet complete. 
So they're still dealing with a law that was fading away. And Jesus got up in Matthew 5 and began to preach. And he began to preach the Beatitudes, which are attitudes that you need to be in. That's what a beatitude is. And he starts teaching, but he starts out by saying, you're blessed if you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Now you've got to realize he's talking to a bunch of people who think they're already righteous based on the performance of old covenant rituals. He's talking to a bunch of Pharisees and scribes who think they're holy. And he's saying to them, if you don't get hungry for a different kind, I'm going to say it like this, for righteousness, you're not going to be filled. In other words, they thought they had it, but there was another righteousness that he was offering them. Because under the old covenant, the only way you could be righteous was to be to keep every rule, every jot, and every tittle. But in the new covenant, I love this, righteousness is not based on your performance, it's based on a gift. Because of the abundance of grace, watch this, and the gift of righteousness. Touch your neighbor, say, what part of gift don't you understand? You did not earn the gift of righteousness come on hallelujah it's a gift and the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness listen but when you get the gift of righteousness it doesn't make you lawless it empowers you to reign in life right now because you're not trying to get it you already got it and because you got it you're living out of what you already have the just will live by faith and if you believe you're righteous you will act like you're righteous if you're not acting like you're righteous it's an issue of faith and whatever is not of faith is sin but that's why I want to preach until somebody becomes a believer I want to tell you like I did last night who you are in Christ. I want to preach to your new man. I want to call forth who you are in the new creation and bring it to the place where people become what I call believers. And then they begin to live and walk by faith. See, when you've got people who really believe they are who God said they are, you won't need a church sheriff. Because what happens is they are what they are when you're around and when you're not. Because when the real come on, faith comes, you act like who you really believe you are as a man thinks in his heart God no wonder Job would rear back and say oh that there was a day's man a mediator one among a thousand that could show man not his sin or his iniquity his uprightness if you could just get them to believe they're righteous they'll start to act like they are and they'll start to reign in life and they'll start to walk by faith and not by sight see it's not hard for me to believe I'm a sinner it's hard for me to believe I'm righteous come on somebody because I'm going to tell you that's where faith kicks in and the more you preach it the more people will begin to believe and when they become believers they'll get up out of whatever they're in and say listen I was born for something greater than this the moment the prodigal son said I remember my daddy's house I remember who my father is I wish you'd touch your neighbor and say, come on, who's your daddy tonight? Who's your daddy? When he remembered who his daddy was, he got up and went back to his father. And the father saw him a long way off. I don't want to sidetrack on this. But dad was waiting on him to come home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I got a classic message. It's one of our most bought messages out there called Papa Runs Like a Girl. Because in Hebrew culture, men did not run. But when the father saw him a long way off, he pulled his robe off and took off running. He didn't tell him, you need to get the hog slop off of you. You need to get your life cleaned up. He said, son, welcome home. Here's a robe. Here's a ring. You're a son. You weren't born. That son comes back. He said, Father, make me a servant. And the father said, Son, listen, that's old covenant thinking. You're not a servant. You're a son. Oh, I ain't going to get... Hallelujah.
when you, and the older son, here's the tragedy of the story, is the younger son comes back and the father receives him. But the older son is really, to me, the, the tragedy of the story. He hears the sound of celebration. And he says to one of the servants, what meaneth the sound of this celebration? See, he'd been in the house of his father his whole life and did not understand what the sound of celebration sounded like. I'm convinced, Pastor Allen, that if we had a party once in a while in the house of God, our younger brother, our young people wouldn't leave home looking for one. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.